Hi everyone, welcome to Under Control. My name is Paul Bartlett and on today's show is Luke Maltz, who is the Business Development Director at Brave. Brave is a privacy-focused web browser provider with more than 15 million users. Their browser experience is three to six times faster than other mainstream browsers. We will discuss why invasive data collection is a significant issue and how Brave solves this with a privacy-focused mindset, in addition to incentivizing content creators. Welcome, Luke. How are you doing there? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for joining us today. So Luke is uh, Luke Mooks, and he's the Director of Business Development at Brave. And we've got to typically start in the usual fashion where we're going to ask Luke to give us a little bit of background about himself. Off to, over to you, Luke. Yeah, sure. Um, so I basically have a background in my started off in publishing and startups, and then I moved into digital advertising. Um, for many years, I was the director of ad products for a company called OAO, and we were right in the middle of the belly of the beast. So we worked with Google and all the other ad stacks, but we also worked with the biggest media companies on the planet to handle ad product integration and ad operations. So we kind of saw how all the sausage was made as far as, you know, data collection and, and, yeah. and the operations and process for all that stuff. Uh, and I just, when I started working there back in 2010, 2011, um, it was a different game with advertising. Uh, and, and I watched that shift from being pretty simple and, uh, and minimally invasive to being extremely invasive and, uh, and Google really taking the reins and, and driving it through the roof. So um, I saw what Brave was doing um, back in 2016, uh, right around February, March, right when they did their first, right after they did their first uh, initial, you know, kind of early, early beta release. And it seemed like it was the first project of its kind to kind of not only think about really strong privacy, but how can we make the internet work with, you know, how can we make sure people get paid? How can we make sure that there's a, a steady, healthy economy within the internet? So I did a kind of crazy thing and I went from kind of running ads on the Super Bowl to joining a risky startup with a, a few folks. I think I was like 11 or 12th employee there, but it was, you know, when you have the guy that created JavaScript uh, uh, as a co-founder and, and, and people wow. like Yan Zhu on our security side, it's kind of hard to uh, say no to that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that wasn't the only motivation. As you mentioned, uh, the invasive or the intrusive ma manner of advertisements, there must have been some other motivation for you there as well, right, to jump? Sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. It came to the point where, you know, everybody's kind of got their own personal checklist of what they're comfortable with doing uh, in their life. And uh, toward the end, I was really uncomfortable with what I was seeing, the, just the amount of data collection and how it was all kind of being pulled together with all these companies. Right. Yeah. So, and then out of that came uh, your introduction to Brave, as you mentioned. And so tell us a little bit more about Brave. Yeah. So Brave's a privacy browser uh, with the first kind of integrated global private ad and reward platform. Um, we take the Chromium open source browser code, we harden it, we remove all of the, uh, anything that would phone home to Google. Um, and when you do that and, and protect people's privacy, so anything that would collect their data without them being, you know, from a third party, without them being aware of it is something that we block and protect our users from. And we do that by default. And it's probably the most strict uh, and, and, and protective privacy policies of, of any browser on the internet right now um, that has this many users. And so 
when you start with that foundation um, and you give people a, uh, a real a real clean start with their privacy, then you can kind of build in features and, um, and, and lines of business that are privacy preserving on top of that. And that's exactly what we've done. And uh, we've grown, we're at about 19 million monthly active users right now. Um, and we are at about almost 5 million daily active users. And uh, a year ago, we were at about 7 million monthly active users. So the growth is quite, quite strong. And uh, I think it's really indicative of a, uh, a need that people have for privacy protection that um, has been overlooked for far too long. Yeah. And what do you think the drivers behind that are? Because, I mean, we've seen a few incidents over the years from Edward Snowden. And then, you know, there's obviously the, the most recent ones are the Cambridge Analytica. And now we've got the Social Dilemma, which is out on Netflix as well. Are we in an era now of realisation that data is being abused, basically? People are coming out of the woodwork and starting to speak up. I think there's like been a, a real natural progression um, where, you know, you look at the timeline that you just mentioned where you've got Snowden, where it's first it's like people like Snowden used to be called crackpots, right? Just for even suggesting that uh, governments were doing that. Then you have this, ironically, right, as Snowden becomes, you know, hits a scene, you have this big data business boom where all these companies kind of turn into their own data warehouses right around the same time. So then you have this sense of like, okay, the government can get into anything, but now it's like you've got all these mini NSAs everywhere collecting all of this data. And then, you know, you see what happens with that data collection when you start seeing all of these breaches happening. And then I think now we're in this phase where, okay, we've seen what the scale of data collection is. Now you're starting to see, okay, well, how are the algorithms affecting everything? You know, these algorithms are, are using this data and how is that affecting, you know, the zeitgeist? And that's kind of where we're at now with the social dilemma, but yeah, there's a big awakening. You see Apple talking about privacy, you see others, and GDPR was just a huge kind of catalyst for, for getting this up. And I think that's kind of the way that you have to look at this is like, how does this impact business? Because everybody wants to, everybody needs to earn money and, and, and earn a living. And you can really uh, uh, have a great impact when something with teeth is put out there as far as regulation goes with privacy and, and people are willing to enforce it. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we're not just talking here typically about the individual users. I mean, there's companies out there that are also using browsers as well to search for products for, and, and how that's been, you know, the advertising mechanism behind that and the, to the lowest bidder, the highest bidder. So let's go on with that a little bit. Let's let's look at this, this invasive data collection, as you mentioned. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, how it's evolved from when you first started it back in all those years and to where it is now. You mentioned big data, of course. Um, how's that all coming together now? Uh, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a it's a scary picture <laughs> to be quite mm -hmm. honest. Um, so we went from a time like even back in 2010 where mobile was start, first kind of starting to take off, but it was really mobile was trying to adapt what desktop was doing. Um, but back then, you know, people were kind of in a fixed location. You might have a tracking cookie here or there, um, but it was more about what the site was and what you were viewing on the site. It was very contextual. Um, what really changed was when programmatic advertising. Um, took hold. Uh, Google bought this company called AdMill in uh, 2011 after they had bought DoubleClick in, uh, in the late 2000 or early mid 2000. Um, and when they bought AdMill, they could leverage everything that they have from search, everything that they had from DoubleClick, and then this really, really sharp programmatic auction platform that uh, was already in place with a big network. And so it went from a situation where a site was collecting some data and it was trying to serve me something that was relevant to the content to 
we are going to track people and audiences are the target. It's no longer about what you're seeing. It's about who you are and what you're doing online. And once that happened, you started seeing this rise of like new vendors that are doing different types of tracking where before it was like a tracking cookie. Now it's like a tracking cookie location services and beacons and offline tracking where, you know, Google analytics could actually, you know, report back from brick and mortar sales and other types of offline tracking. And it got to the point where I remember one day it was back in like 2012 or 2013. I could, I could figure that the second I moved out of my house and got into my car, I was basically being tracked all the way to from the East Bay to San Francisco, and then pretty much throughout the whole day. And the thing is happens is like, the, you go to a web page, and it got so bad that basically every page you go to is broadcasting your data um, to a bunch of different companies that you've never heard of, that are all bidding on you. And they're doing it for every ad slot that you're on. And these companies all have profiles on you. So if you think about, you know, you could have up to 12 companies or on one website, right? And you're traveling page to page, what page you're on is going broadcasted to, the, to these companies, uh, what interests you have, and it's all kind of being compiled about you. So what they have is a bunch of different partial data profiles on you. Um, mm -hmm. And then, you know, over time, this builds up and, and this data gets aggregated and, and bought and sold in the markets that you've never even seen, right? Like that's the important thing here is this whole huge marketing landscape that's created, been created in this multi-billion dollar industry um, where even the fraud is around 16, $18 billion a year. Um, this is all made off of your data and you're getting mm -hmm. nothing for it except for some promise about, you know, relevancy with advertising, which I don't think I've ever heard people really ask for. Um, and, uh, and the degree in which the data is collected and how much of your information is being broadcast. I mean, this is what gets kind of scary with Google and companies like this is they've kind of made themselves into this guardian of your data while they're also basically, you know, exploiting that data for maximum gain on their side. So it's, uh, it's, it's, those pictures are pretty bleak. I mean, even now it's getting more and more, uh, people are more and more aware of what's happening with privacy and, and with their mm -hmm. data collection, but still, it's still pretty egregious. Um, and in the U.S., where we have such an impact on, you know, the global digital economy, um, there's still a lot of uncertainty around uh, what the privacy situation is going to be like here um, because right. there's so much interest from, you know, lobbyists, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to run this one past you, Luke, as we, when you mentioned about tracking and um, just an experience of mine recently. Um, went into a sports uh, shop here recently and uh, bought a resistance band um, for working out at home. And um, within, I would say, probably 10 or 15 minutes, I looked at my phone, looked at Instagram, and it was there, and I never searched for it. I never looked for it. So it kind of freaked me out to the point that, is it just by chance that happened, or <laughs> what I what I just bought inside the shop? You know, where I went through the till and I paid for it. That data came collectively accumulated together, and then and suddenly I'm getting targeted ads. Whether I actually mentioned the word resistance band, which we know that of course these devices can listen to keywords and things like that for for advertising, but. I can tell you it's just more and more starting to spook me out a little bit. So, uh, well, and, and yeah. it's really, it's really sprawled too. It went from, you know, okay, advertising companies are collecting data and, and Google used to separate this out. They used to say, okay, um, my, my Gmail data, my other data, uh, Google Docs, other d Google data, would there be a barrier between that data and data that was collected for advertising? Well, in 2016, and ProPublica broke the story, um, they kind of quietly changed their privacy policy to remove that barrier. 
and they redesigned their APIs to basically work together. Uh, so that data that's collected for advertising or for mail could be used for advertising or vice versa. So that's when it really, it really took off. And that's also right around when you saw just this meteoric, just, just, you know, boom and bust of, of advertising. Like there's been a lot of disruption within advertising because Google is taking so much market share. And, and that's the, that's the ironic thing about things like GDPR. Google can go and fight in the courts forever. They have enough money yeah. to, to, to deal with all of these, any lawsuits, but the other companies in the advertising space were just getting crushed. So what you end up seeing is like a stronger Google and a stronger Facebook with this, but I don't, that said, it's not a bad thing. I think that, you know, these, it puts it more front and center and it, it lets you kind of really have these companies start having to answer for these, you know, for these issues that have been going on for a decade or more. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think on that, on that point, um, when you talk, when you talk about the likes of Facebook and Google and they've collected that, this information about you for for so long, and a lot of people have just got used to it, and they say, "Well, so what? Was it matter? Was it matter?" So maybe, look, you can take us on a journey of: Is it harmless that they just collect this information about us that we accept all the cookies and they feed us content which they think is relevant to us? Is there any harm in that? Do we see any harm in that? Yes, uh, I, I think that's been the the really kind of uh, thing about advertising is they people in the space in ad tech will make an argument that says well this is anonymized data um and you know we don't know you and we're just trying to make sure that we're not giving you adult diapers or something like that with advertising and the reality is that it is invasive um your every like every ad request that goes through android goes through the google play store and uh this this the amount of data that's collected on your device you're using it for navigation you're using it to collect your home wi-fi to connect to entertainment it's 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 your hub and right now it's a free fire zone for data collection and it not only is it about tracking who you are but then that data can be used against you i'm not sure how clear this is in europe but in the united states you know there's more and more stories about uh credit bureaus and rating agencies basically buying data from advertisers or that was originally collected from advertisers and using that to impact how they score you when you're trying to get a credit rating and a credit score. Right. And so, you know, and they can claim all day that this data is not, you know, invasive or that they're, they're doing, you know, the right thing. But the reality is, you know, when you get sick or you do something, you're not feeling well, you search for it on Google and they're not doing anything, you know, to, to separate that data out, right? Like, and these companies, you know, the practices, I mean, working with these companies, the problem that really happened was, and, and what kept other solutions from differentiating or innovating has been that there has been such an incentive for as much data collection as possible for as long as possible that there has been no business case, you know, ever to really clean up the act and do something differently. And that's basically what we're trying to do at Brave. And that's really kind of what motivated me to take that risk to leave, you know, a pretty cushy gig <laughs> to go over to this new thing because, you know, nobody was doing this in this way. Yeah. 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 And I think uh, what I'm fearful of as well is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, that we had a lot of uh, media attention focused on China and about, basically grading people in society about their behavior and the way that they are. And I think what you're indicating in a way is that, well, that is also being possible. That's also possible in, in Western society as well, that this can happen. Yeah. Um, it's just not so much in your face. 
It's basically if you go to an insurance company, they might have a wealth of data on you already that you don't know about, mm-hmm. um, about your lifestyle, about the way that they think that you could potentially be a health risk without and, and making you know the, your, the premiums for your insurance, for your health insurance or whatever that may be, um, exceptionally high. And yet you don't even know why that case is. And yet they've got all that data ready to hand. Yeah, and and there were also cases around, you know, price discrimination and things like that mm-hmm. that were are being alleged. I think, you know, that's the big deal here is you go to these sites even and they have advertising, right? So they can attribute an ID there, they can back it up. But there there was a new type of company that started emerging, you know, several years ago called the data management platform. And what they did was basically kind of work as a as a big kind of collection house and, and collation service for all of these different data sources. But but what they could also do is go to data brokers and buy offline data. So purchase data, things that they can tie together more. And the thing that really got scary was that, you know, by 2016, you, you've had this happening for years and the amount of history that can be tied to one person it, and people will say, well, we're using anonymized IDs or, or whatever, but your driver's license has an ID on it and the ID number, like, and that doesn't necessarily say your full name, but that's attributed to your name. And what happens that people don't understand is even if a company does say, we process this, we throw the records away, other companies are they're sharing that data with other companies. Those companies are creating a new ID, photocopying, basically photocopying that information into their own database and then you know persisting that information longer. So even when they say that they're doing the right thing, they don't really know. And that was the interesting thing about GDPR was when that came out, no one really took it seriously in the US. And then all of a sudden, all these US companies, there were newspapers that were basically gating off content. If you were in the EU, they would just prevent you from seeing their site because their legal teams came in and said, hey, we're still trying to figure out, okay, where's our line in the sand as a publisher collecting data? But oh my gosh, what is going on with these advertising, you know, with this advertising piece over here? And that even within these companies, you've got maybe one or two folks on the development side that understand how advertising works. But even the developers building their publishing site don't necessarily understand, you know, how far reaching this data collection goes. So it's been really eye-opening, I think. And we're still kind of in that phase. I think if you look at like Alexa and, you know, Google Home and all these things, they're just listening all the time. Your phone can listen. And, and the problem with these things is that, you know, Facebook can have one policy. Facebook Messenger can have another policy. Instagram can have another policy. And they're all kind of owned by the same entity, but they can yeah. shell game it around to where they can say one thing and do another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what we're leading to is I mean, you have got like a literally a, a, a digital personality a profile of you online about everything that's happening to you and that's being traded right mm-hmm. that's being yeah. traded um to the what potentially the highest bidder so there's a market out there for us for our digital yeah. way of life and the way that it worked was that basically you know whichever whichever company that was bidding that had the best data on you or whatever company had the best data on you for the opportunity would know what the best price was to bid against so they would know okay this is a good price for me to bid at. This is not a good price for me to bid at. But what you started seeing, and this is the thing with advertising technology, is like, these aren't dumb people. Like, these are very smart people, and they like to gamify these things. And and for, for what it's worth, I mean, like, the rules are are pretty, there's not a lot of rules around what you can and can't do. Uh, and that was the other surprising thing. And the other thing that really got me, you know, interested in leaving to do what I'm doing now is that, you know, we have to build our way out of this. It's not going to, you know, there, the, 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 the regulations help, 
um, uh, to a degree. You know, they bring awareness, but there's still an open question around enforcement um, because if you throw nickel dime tiny lawsuits at these big tech companies, they don't care. They will put that out. And even if they lose, they can still win because they can just not pay people and then take it into arbitration for, for years, right? And so the there's such a, uh, the scales are so tipped in the wrong direction that the only way you can do it is to kind of figure out a way to Trojan horse good privacy technology to the mainstream. And that's kind of what we've been doing. We can, and that's what's been interesting about this journey is that, you know, we don't collect data on people. So we don't even necessarily, especially early on, didn't have any idea of who our audience was. And um, other than, you know, what we've seen from, you know, open source code or, you know, social media, et cetera. Um, but, you know, over time, it gets to be a huge cohort. And, uh, and we learned that, you really got to just play up the value like, okay, you can have a three times, three X performance increase from blocking all this stuff. Uh, uh, you can have a faster experience. You can have a cleaner experience. You can have better battery life. You can have less data on your bandwidth for your bill. You can do all these things that while protecting your privacy. And that's kind of been the angle that's worked really well for us. And, you know, how do you kind of, how can you sidestep a lot of the, the eye glazing, you know, really complicated mess. And, and it's just by communicating, well, what, what are the, what are the good side effects of this? Right. Like, uh, and, and then like also, kind of breaking breaking the ice and saying like, look, Avtech will say this is all very, you need all these complicated things, but if you really break it down, what you need to do is match a business or a service or a thing to a person. And if you can do that effectively on one end with all of this data collection or on another end with none of it, uh, and none of that liability um, or risk. Uh, I think the one that has the less risk and the less liability and the efficient way is, is the one that'll win. And so that's the kind of, that's the case we're trying to prove at Brave is that yeah. you can do this without having to collect all this data. Um, when, even though the industry saying, no, you need all this data. Like that's kind mm -hmm. of where we say, no, I don't think so. It's 2019, 2018, 2020. Yeah, we can, we can innovate. We can, we can do things locally on the device with the data that's there. And then that's been kind of our focus. Yeah. I just wanted to touch on a point which you mentioned with GDPR. Uh, do you think it, personally, from your perspective, that you said it's a step in the right direction, which might suggest that there's still a way around it. There's still a loophole there for companies to be able to exploit somehow, some way uh, around that, whether they're storing data or collecting data from a third, a third country, like a developing country. Um, which doesn't have such strict data laws, uh, which is not affected. What, what, what do you see around that? Is, is it I think, you know, I think the, there's GDPR was really, it's really great. I don't think that it's necessarily dead or, or that it's ineffective. Uh, it sets some good base rules. The, the re, real question is around how is it enforced, right? Because right. we, uh, Johnny Ryan, my former colleague now at Brave, um, he's now working uh, in, in Ireland specifically on these issues. Um, we took a complaint to the, uh, the, the data commissioner in, in Britain and basically said, look, uh, you know, Every time a user goes to a web page, their data is being broadcasted. There is no way that this is compliant with GDPR, no matter how much the industry says it is. And the regulators actually agreed with our complaint, and they they you know validated that in writing and uh, and published a post about it. And but then the problem was that even though they validated that this is incompatible with the law, when COVID hit, we saw messaging from them that said, "Well, look, you know, we're really not going to go overboard enforcing things that are." 
are going to negatively impact an industry at this complicated time or whatever that some some can kick down the can kick the can yeah. down the road kind of excuse right and so that's where if if there can be some enforcement from the regulators and the regulators are waking up about this and and that's been the interesting thing even in the U.S. where um, you know Johnny testified in front of the uh, the congressional uh, the, the judiciary committee in the Senate um, about this and you saw these these regulators in the U.S. at least the you know Congress was sharpening their knives around what they can do with these companies because they're impacted by this too. And that's the thing that's interesting about GDPR and about privacy regulation um, with with politicians and regulators is that every political season, uh, at least in the U.S., I don't know how it is in Europe, we are bombarded with political advertising. And so it's an area where they're actually they actually have to kind of you know pay attention and and uh, it impacts them directly. And so there there's a bit of a win there. But I think, you know, it's still very much a dogfight between lobbyists for, for the industry that are have been, you know, padding their wallets for a very long time off of data and then also racing to get innovative uh, technologies to market that can replace these things. I think that's the real thing that matters right now. And, and that's what's interesting about like Trustor and all these other companies, too, where it's like, if we can all kind of work together on on really pushing innovation um, and and really building a market for this, then there is an alternative that people can go to. That's been the hard thing is that there hasn't been right, and so there's been no incentive to do that. But now there is, and now we've got some of the biggest brands working with us and 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 you know experimenting with this because they just want to differentiate and and be part of this privacy wave that's happening. Yeah, and I think uh, to your point there as well that. It is about privacy and people taking their privacy back um, and they've never had that opportunity to do that because the technologies have not existed there. Um, as much as we do security by design, I think now there is a case in technology to do privacy by design as well. And I think that's what ourselves and you guys are on, on that mission as well is to give that privacy to the customer because that's their fundamental right to have that. Um, and of course, you can sign up and you can go visit as many web pages as you want accept the cookies, but people are just not aware that you could, there is an alternative to Google in it, right? That you can brave it. So right. you can brave <laughs> it out there. Um, so tell us a little bit more about what's the alternative then? And here's Brave, okay? So here's Brave and what's the alternative and, and how are you guys you know, making it work for you, surviving? Yeah, yeah. So Brave's, like I said earlier, Brave's a privacy browser, uh, and and but we're more than a browser. We're a software company, and we're, we see ourselves as a platform or almost like a super app where, you know, if we can start with that foundation of really strong privacy protection by default and not waver with it. And that's the other thing is that, you know, we've gone from you know, a small handful of people to like over a hundred on staff. We've gone from, you know, a couple hundred users to 19 million and we've only gotten more stringent and diligent about what we protect around privacy. Um, and we haven't caved And it, it, As long as we stick to those ethos is important, but you start by doing that. You, you make it more efficient to browse, you make it cleaner to browse, you make it a better experience, right? And that's what you get with Brave. Uh, you, you get, you, you get a browsing situation where your content isn't fighting against the advertising. And if you try Brave for like a week and then go back to Chrome or whatever browser you're using before, it is a noticeable difference. And you don't realize it at first, but after a while, you know, you're like, gosh, you know, like something's missing here, something's different. And then you go back to Chrome and you're like, oh yeah, my content is, has nowhere to breathe here. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, and, and that's the main thing I think, you know, and then the other thing we did was um, we had a, uh, we've been really into 
privacy for the mainstream and also like the blockchain technology. And, and it's been interesting because you've got two of these very complicated topics, both kind of, you know, emerging at, at a similar time. And so we had a, a token sale. We made our own uh, blockchain-based utility token called the Basic Attention Token. Um, we sold that okay. in, uh, in, in May of 2017. And the whole point of that is to kind of become a unit of account for attention within the platform. So if you go to a website now, you know, in advertising, the way it kind of works is you've got, you know, advertisers, they have a bunch of companies that track users and publishers. And then you've got, you know, publishers that track the advertising and the users. And all these companies are basically measuring the same thing because they don't trust each other. And what our, our, you know, our aim with the token is to basically say, look, we can, we can make this available on a publicly public blockchain. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the data that, you know, the, the measurement information that, you know, that is being reported and then make it so that it's accessible. Uh, so where it's not linked to any person, you know, we, we, we remove that link and make it truly anonymous, like, uh, and then, you know, provide a means for accounting so that you don't have to have five or six vendors measuring the same thing. Everybody can go and look at a single source of truth um, and, and have in high integrity there and then have high integrity with the browser because, Doing all this with JavaScript, uh, and, and it's, it's ironic because, you know, our co-founder created JavaScript. Doing all this yeah. with JavaScript is, is not, there's too low integrity. Too many people have been able to take advantage of this. Like ad fraud has been, the whole industry is kind of built on top of ad fraud, right? Like um, you can go online and buy traffic <laughs> for your website if you want to, uh, even now. Um, and so, you know, we if you really want to take this seriously, you have to take it to the, to, to use high integrity and you have to use, you know, kind of that 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 source code you know the the work directly from within the architecture instead of like you know trusting all of these untrustworthy uh sources mm -hmm. so there's the new internet there right that's what we're talking about the the new web browsing experience um and 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 bringing those benefits as just mentioned it's speed is one yeah well thing. speed speed battery saving data savings um the other thing you know that we're doing with the token and with our advertising model is that we've set up a new type of way of exchanging value right so advertisers buy uh privacy preserving advertising on our platform and we've created a reporting protocol that is able to report on you know an ad was viewed for a campaign an ad was clicked and a uh, purchase was made yada yada none of that links back to an individual user um and so that's a really innovative thing that we've done and we've change the way that ads are matched. So you have a browser where the browser knows what you're doing and that's your local data, just like your browsing history, right? Like, and you have a full record on your device. So what we did is we shipped the matching technology into the browser. So it doesn't have to go to the cloud anymore. It all happens locally on right. your device. So you put a really way of smart way of matching ads on a, on a smart device and you, you can do it more effectively because you have a full profile that you can work from. Um, but the other thing we do is we reward you, you know, for you view an ad with Brave that you opt into advertising um, that's privacy preserving and you earn 70% of the ad revenue in our token. So users are finally getting value for their attention and breaking it all down into the most simple terms. We win here if, you know, maybe one out of 10 users has a aha moment where they realize, wow, my attention does have value. And even smaller cohort of that says, well, wait a minute, why haven't I been getting anything for that value elsewhere? <laughs> right. And so that's the yeah. other thing that we're doing here is trying to create a new way to, you know, allow people, publishers, you know, advertisers do business online that doesn't really require all this, you know, horrible data collection. Mm -hmm. And is that changing the the cycle, the mentality of the actual advertisement companies as well? I mean, you've 
you're a big you're growing and you get on board in advertisers and they're believing in the same thing that you guys are believing in they've seen enough of the old model and they want to move into this this new world that you're creating well i'll say it, it's been a it's been an evolving story <laughs> i think right. you know it was really when, when i started here back in 2016 we would go into meetings and talk about privacy and advertising and people would kind of look at us sideways and not really know what to do um but then you know when blockchain technology became popular uh, with marketers and also now with privacy becoming you know front and center uh there has been an increasing interest um and and even big you know holding companies you know there's five or six of them that handle 90% of advertising, right? Like they, they are realizing that, you know, right now we can start working with these people, test it out, get a feel for it. Um, the ones that are really eager, will we work pretty cool? We'll work closely with them to make sure that we're shipping things, features that they need, because, you know, it's a competition between them spending their ad dollars with Brave or with Google or Facebook. So we have to be able to not only protect privacy with all of this, but also be competitive. And the, the advantage that we have with that is, you know, if you have a machine learning model in the browser that's working with your local data from the browser level, it has a much clearer picture of what your interests are, what you're trying to do. Is this person intend to buy? Does this person just trying to research something? And so what we put a lot of care into is making sure that when we serve an ad, it's separate from the content. So it comes as like a notification. And then also we try to make sure that if it seems like a user is reading or, you know, in the middle of something that they're not disturbed. But our, our thesis is that, you know, we can show a user between one and five ads an hour uh, instead of up to five ads per page load, which is what happens outside of Brave. Uh, we can show them up to five ads per hour and have it be more effective for marketers because we're using this technology and because we're working with a better set of data. Uh, so, so that's the part where once they start to come in and, and play with us a little bit with this, they see like, okay, there's a funnel here. Um, I can actually see people buying. Now you can see that things are leading to purchases. Okay, I feel comfortable about that because the thing that's interesting with advertising is that despite all of this data collection, when you look at how marketers look at the data, they don't look at it on the individual level. They look mm -hmm. at it in aggregate. And yeah. so that's kind of where we're coming from. It's like, you don't have to have personal you know, information to do that. You just have to be able to effectively perform and, and match things. And by having ads be opt-in in Brave, the whole audience that sees those ads want advertising. Like they are okay with an experience that has advertising. And that's the other big difference here is that when you go from an opt-out experience where everybody's shotgunning you with ads all the time and just hoping something sticks and trying to measure whether something even was in view uh, uh, to an experience where 100% of the people that see your ads want an advertising experience and they have value in seeing that, you know, our engagement rates are way higher than industry averages. We're up at like, you know, six, eight, 10% click-through rates, things like that, that just, it seems really crazy. But when you have a focused audience that wants this and, and respect their privacy and, and value them in a new way that, you know, is closer to what the original internet was kind of hoping to do, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it yields results. Like, and we've been working with big agencies and holding companies and little brands too. Like we, we've been working with content creators and, and having them, you know, advertise with us uh, and, and us, we can show them that we can drive audience to them and get more people to view their content and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of discover their, their work. So, you know, there's 
a lot of different areas that we've been going after with this, but, you know, so far it's been pretty good. I mean, you know, we've been out for a year and a half with ads. Uh, you know, we've working with some of the biggest agencies and holding companies on the planet. Um, and, you know, the opt-in rates are around between 20 and 30% of our audience is opting into advertising, you know, and, and we have goals to kind of bring that up and work with rewards and, you know, try to get people more what they want. So, you know, it, it's all about kind of, breaking that ground initially and then, and then getting it on every platform and then getting it as in as many countries as you can. And then, you know, kind of building up from that. And that's kind of yeah. the phase we're in now is building up from that. Yeah. I mean, I too, a couple of points you mentioned there is that I, as a user as well, going online and I want to take control of what I can want to see and what I, what I don't want to see. Um, and given nobody gives you that capability until now, of course, and, and with the, uh, technology such as yours um but there is one of those things for example you get something for free you get instagram you get other applications for free but you're not getting them for free because as you mentioned that's being sold off of you is basically your your interactions with it um and not only that you can't reuse the application effectively um if you're not willing to accept the terms of use, which is normally deeply embedded in the terms of use, is that they want access to your camera, to your to your uh, microphone, and this is how these things behind the scenes are working. Of course, younger people today, or the, I wouldn't say necessarily younger people, but so there was certainly an age group where we, where the generation of the internet came up is that we just accept everything, we accept everything. But would you say now that younger people are more security conscious these days, more privacy conscious? coming through a new generation of, of, of uh, young people growing up more aware of this? I would say once they understand what's happening, they are much more um, upset about it. <laughs> They're much mm. more vocally active about it. I think, you know, the funny thing, we would go into meetings and people that were skeptical would say things like, well, younger people don't care about their privacy. They're on social media. They're broadcasting all of these things to all of their friends and family, et cetera. And, but really, like, if you ask those people if they are cool with people looking at their private messages and their DMs, uh, they would all say no. Um, and they, they yeah. expect a level of privacy there. So, you know, privacy is an inherent human, uh, uh, you know, desire and right. And I think that, you know, the challenge for us with people, especially in the States, has been like, how do you communicate what privacy means, what data means? And, and really, a lot of the time, it just kind of goes down to basics. Like, do you have window shades on your windows uh, at home. Um, and, and it, you know, at night, you know, do you leave them open, right? Like, well, if you look at it from that angle, every time you go to a website, it's like leaving your windows open at night with the lights on in your house, right? Like, and, and so, you know, what we've been trying to do is kind of like say like, look, we've got this window shade here that can let you do what you want to do anonymously on the web and, uh, and, and not have all of this other stuff getting in the, in the mix. And young people resonate with that. And I think, you know, we, we did some studies with a, we did a study with the university of Oregon and uh, with a marketing class. And I, we went in there and, and one of the things I pulled them after was basically like, you know, out of the value props that brave has, you know, rewards, speed, performance, uh, uh, data savings um, and privacy, like which of these resonate the most with you. And beforehand, I kind of anticipated like everyone would say rewards because people like getting things for free, like, uh, or, or getting things, you know, uh, rewarded to them. Um, or maybe, you know, I don't know. It was more around words. Over half the class raised their hand for privacy, and that blew me away because these are eighteen to twenty-one-year-old, you know, students that all feel passionately about this. And you know, their their task was to basically, you know, take a take five hundred thousand dollar budget and 
tell us how you can market Brave for a year to college students. And they came up with some really clever novel ways of doing it, but it all broke it down in very simple terms. Like, do you want people to know what you're doing all the time? Or, you know, do you expect a level of privacy? And they all think that this stuff is just way more private than it really is. And, uh, and so once they learn about it, uh, you know, or unfortunately, once there's a breach where they're, you know, and uh, impacted by it, um, they have to learn it, right? And, and that's been the other thing that's been an educating uh, tool is, you know, people, identity theft is very real. And when you go through it, it's really horrible. <laughs> and you've got yeah. to deal with, you know, the financial impact. But that's the thing, that's the difference now from now compared to a few years ago is that you've got purchase data and advertising data kind of coming together. And that makes it that much more real because mm. people are out there, it's livelihood, you know, it, it impacts your livelihood. And so if your credit score or that home loan or, or, you know, something is being impacted that you need because of this data collection, that's not really fair. Like, and yeah. that's not what people think is happening. So that's kind of where we're coming from is like, that right. shouldn't be the, that shouldn't be the norm. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to take us forward and because I think we've got about five minutes left um, just to get your feelings about, and I think you've already mentioned this, but certainly going towards the future is uh, what do you see uh, from the ad space and from, you know, the technology that you're providing with the web browser? Well, let's go beyond the web browser to um, a platform, right? That's where people right. can engage with the trust and the knowledge that Brave is it's got their best interest as a heart as a consumer and the advertisers on there are respectful. I mean, are we going to go into hopefully into a world like that, into a direction like this? Is this the future now? Yeah, that's, that's certainly what we're, we're, what we're trying to prove uh, and, and what we're trying to do. And I think if you look at our growth rate, you know, going from, from zero to 1 million to seven to 19 million, right? Like uh, it shows there's demand for this. And I think, you know, for us, it's about, it was initially like the first few years about proving that we can make the privacy case work. Now it's about like, okay, how do we take that case and, and make it competitive with an industry where they have not only been collecting data, you know, egregiously, but also have been doing it to make things more convenient. So I think our focus now is like, how can we go beyond the four walls of a, of, of a web page, right? And, and, and how can you hook other services that you use into Brave that may, you may have used an app for uh, that may have been doing things with your data that you hadn't realized. How can we kind of tie it all together in a single platform that is protecting you, right? Like, because, you know, browser is a user agent, right? And everybody else's user agent should be fired because their agent has been freeloading and giving away all of their data to everybody. Um, and where we are is about putting up a shield and saying, no, uh, not only can we start with the internet with web browsing, but we can also hook in, you know, your home, your home entertainment, we can hook in, you know, you, you've got ring, you've got all these things where you have concerns that they might be stored in the cloud and something might happen. Well, how can we adapt that to work locally uh, and, and give you what you're looking for? So can building convenience on top of privacy is like very important because if we don't do that, then you can't get that mass scale that you need to really impact change mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and make things better. Yeah. And uh, I think along with that, going into the future, you're also advocates of regulation. We've had a little brief conversation about this antitrust case um, and this purpose limitation. Um, Maybe you want to have a few words about that before we wrap up as well. 
Yeah, I think this is what's really interesting. Um, in in, pri- in Europe, you had the situation with privacy, uh, where you know privacy is very clearly defined. Personal data is clearly defined in Europe. In the U.S., that's not the case. But in the U.S., we have very strong antitrust laws that have uh, precedents, right? And um, the the interesting thing about big tech companies like Google and Facebook is they you go they used to, Google used to separate out your advertising data from your other data, but when they in 2016 changed their policy to mingle these things together and remove that silo, um, it goes into this space of purpose limitation, where if you're collecting data about me for advertising, that should only be used for advertising services. That should not be used to take an, get an advantage over another competitor and another service that you're promoting. And the thing is, Google has been commingling this data, and that's how they've become so big, is by coming in with a new option, uh, uh, Gmail, uh, uh, you know, they can go against Zoom with, with Meet. All of that's based in a central location. But if you look at the network traffic for these web pages, they're using like Play Store requests and things like that on a desktop browser. And like, why would they be doing that? Like that should be on an Android device, right? So in the US, there's this uh, antitrust case that's being built and uh, the, the first you know uh, documents for that have come out and um, they're pretty interesting. And uh, it looks like there might be some teeth with this, but we'll always see, I'm always kind of skeptical around these things because they take a while, but there, it's a it's a pretty glaring case when you have you know ninety percent of the search market, seventy percent of the mobile operating system market, and when you know seventy seventy cents out of every digital ad dollar goes through uh, your same company, right? Like there, it's too big to fail almost. And you know, in those cases, you've got to there's definitely impact on competition, and uh, and it's it's holding out innovation, right? It's like the the oil companies were or what the train the railroad companies used to do, right? Like they can buy out the competition and shelve them they want. Um, and that happens a lot with technology. So, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the U.S. I, I think that we'll probably see uh, uh, more talk about antitrust in the U.S. or, or impact from that. Um, but the reality is, is that if you're a U.S. business and you're doing business in a global economy, you have to care about GDPR because people in Europe are, you know, impacted by that. And uh, and that was the other thing that was interesting about these regulations is that if your data centers are in another country and your users are in another country and you're in a third country, you have to care about what the data policies are for all of these. And, yeah. you know, there are over a hundred countries that have data policies now. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a global movement. Uh, and so I think with antitrust, we'll see impact in the U S and you could actually see something happen where, you know, they end up getting broke because the thing with Google, I think, you know, and just really quickly, like the thing with Google is that they're so massive, right? You you could have, yeah. you can have Chrome with 70% of market share with the browser with YouTube. And if they want to experiment with something that isn't part of the web standards, they can make an API that they use and then they can put it in the market and they can easily get over 1% of users to be using this API and kind of force the stand, force it into the standards because it's in a service that everybody wants. Mm -hmm. That is kind of a real big signal of being too big to fail. And you're seeing it happen where they're changing the way that, you know, ad blocking can work. And they're, you know, they're changing the way that people even use URLs. Like URLs used to be, you would would use a URL, you could block things by URLs. They're doing this thing called web bundles where it obfuscates all of this. It makes everything almost look first party. And uh, and it makes it really hard for privacy tools to, block out things that are collecting data when the URLs don't even make sense anymore. So I think there's all these different impacts from these companies being so huge. And I think that's where you'll see the movement in the U.S. is probably around antitrust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to that point as well, I mean, you mentioned uh, several countries or the complexity with regulation. It's not just GDPR anymore or the U.S. We're starting to see 
other countries like Brazil and and some of the some of the Asian countries producing their own data protection laws as well. Um, so we could be looking at a very regulated and complex market in the future for for, for data. So um, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And uh, I think going for the future, it could be quite quite tricky to navigate for, for companies. So. Well, and that's where that's where one of those things where, you know, it, it almost becomes a competitive thing with the U.S. And that's mm. a position we've taken is like, you know, when there's situations with this much uncertainty um, and you've got other countries that are creating more certainty around it with regulation, it actually causes us to slip because, you know, people here aren't really sure of what they can and can't do. Mm. And we drive a lot of the economy. So it's it's one of those things where, like, having some policy that we can at least get a foothold in um, would be helpful to help, you know, yeah. remove some of that uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, thanks a lot, Luke, for your insights and everything about uh, Brave. I'll certainly be uh, probably making the switch sometime soon um, and getting away from that. I know there's a few uh, new applications out there like yourselves, but uh, I'm going to definitely give it a try, and I certainly encourage the listeners to give it a try as well. Certainly looking forward to seeing the the performance uh, increase. Um, thanks a lot for being with us. I wish you all the best with it. Hopefully we can get you on the show again sometime in the future and you can give us an update about how things are developing um, and all the best. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, just go to brave.com and you can you can give us a test drive. And if there's any issues, just hit me up at uh, Luke at brave.com and we're happy to fix them. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Thank you very much right. for your time, Luke. Take all care right, now. Take care. Bye-bye. And that is all for today's episode of Under Control. You can find links to all our social platforms and to our guests in the episode description. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. Join me again in two weeks' time for the next episode.